my guest today is Michelle Bruce, mm-hmm. a world schooler and mother of four. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Where are we right now? Where is here? We are sitting in Spain in the town of San Carlos de la Repita. I don't even know if I said that right. I think you did. Okay. And um, Spanish is not a language for me. And um, we are sitting on top of our boat, which is where we currently live. And we are out of the water getting some work done. What's the name of this boat? The name of the boat is Wicked. Okay. Kind of like the, the play? Mm-hmm. But okay. the, uh, this is our second boat we've lived on, and the girls uh, suggested the name Wicked because they loved the musical. Okay. Uh, does the musical have any problem with that? I don't know. <laughs> we changed uh, the logo slightly. <laughs> okay, yeah, nice, nice. Uh, and so we were debating whether to call you a world schooler or a boat schooler mm-hmm. because you and your family have spent a lot of time on this boat and your previous boat, but you've also spent time traveling together as a family, not on, on a boat. Can you, can you briefly tell us the, the non-boat travel that you've done? Yeah, most of the non-boat travel that we've done has been um, in a van. So we own an old uh, 25-year-old Volkswagen van, like a Westphalia type thing, and have traveled around Europe and the Iberian Peninsula and parts of Morocco. Um, And usually we'll do it for six to eight weeks at a time. Where did this all start? Oh, well, we've always traveled with the kids. We lived in Florida. Um, and on the, in the summers, we had a big RV, and we'd travel for four to six weeks in the summers with them. Um, and then around 2013, we decided to take off for a year, and we bought a boat, um, and we were in the Caribbean, in the island of St. Martin. Started there and planned on staying on the boat for about a year, uh, like many people do when they take off that challenge. And basically, everybody loved it. The kids loved it. They loved living in their swimsuits every day and... Um, Stayed in the Caribbean for about three years up and down the island chain and then uh, spent two years. uh, We wanted to sell the boat. The kids wanted a boat that could cross oceans. And so we left that boat because it's very difficult to sell a boat with uh, four kids, a cat and a dog and all the stuff that goes with that. And so we left the boat to sell it and moved to Portugal for two years while it was selling. Um, Bought a van and traveled around uh, mostly the Iberian Peninsula, but parts of Europe. Um, And then bought another boat in Turkey. Great. And tell me a little bit more about your kids. So I have four kids. Um, When we moved on to the boat in 2013, the oldest was 12 and the youngest was four. Um, And my 12-year-old, my nine-year-old, both of them had gone through public schools. Um, I had a six-year-old who had just finished kindergarten in a public school and then my four-year-old who had never spent a day in any sort of institutional school type environment. Um, And then we moved on to the boat and uh, started homeschooling. Had you ever considered homeschooling or any form of alternative education before the the boat moment? I had not. You hadn't. So mm-hmm. this was done out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I actually was a public school teacher in my first life. Yeah. So what, did, what did you teach? And I to taught whom? Um, high school math. Uh-huh. So AP calculus, trig. Yeah. That public kind of stuff. school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you were a believer in the the standard educational I was. I was a believer in it. And because we were only going to be gone for about a year, um, I modeled our first year very much after the public school because I expected they were going to go back to the public school. And how did that first year go? It was really rough. Okay. Tell them. I want to know more. It was really rough. So basically, the county that we lived in in Florida, I could download kind of like their... 
uh, scope and sequence plans for the different classes. And so I attempted that first year to kind of follow a lot of that model. Um, I had even brought some of the books that I knew that they used. There wasn't a lot of online resources at the time. Um, and they, I expected them to go back into school. We woke up in the morning and pretty much followed a model. We had a plan and we did six or seven subjects. And um, because of the age range, I did have some modifications for history, especially, and for science. We would all do that together. Um, and I would make changes for my middle schooler versus the younger ones. Um, but for the other ones, it was very specific to their grade level. And what was rough about this? The way you describe it, it seems like, okay, you did homeschooling. You just happened to be on a boat. Yeah. You know, it was one of those things where the older kids, it was exactly what they were used to, right? Um, it was rough because uh, there was a little bit of resistance from uh, my older ones of like, you know, this isn't real school and this isn't real and, you know... Um, but it was it was difficult to kind of keep up that 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 mode every single day, and especially because you were in the Caribbean and you wanted to be exploring and doing other things. And um, I started reading a lot of books um, about unschooling, a lot of books about alternative education, um, and uh, started thinking that this if this was going to be a long term thing, this wasn't the way I was going to do it. You told me yesterday about a, a different family that you met whose kids were doing online school from 8 a.m. till mm. 5 p.m. each day while other boat families and, and boat kids were out playing and zipping around on, on little boats and swimming together. Uh, did your kids have any moments like that in that first year or maybe soon after that in, in which they were doing homeschooling while sort of life was going on in, in this aquatic world around them? And, and did they point that out? Did, did you point that out? I'm just curious how this shift uh, into world schooling happened for your family. It was a, it was a combination. So my oldest daughter, um, Kate, um, she probably pointed it out a little bit because the the boat family, there's a lot of, there's more boat families than you imagine out there. I mean, it's not like tons, but you run into three or four in different anchorages. And, um, and they immediately are drawn to each other because it's like, you know, kids for the first time, right? Um, some of the boat families we met were what I would call radical unschoolers. Um, there wasn't any curriculum on their boat. Others were, um, they had like maybe different curriculum that they had purchased, but they weren't doing it every day. So then I started realizing that there were all these different modes. And so for my kids, they were always the last ones done. Um, but at the same time, I made it a, I kind of made it a rule that we weren't going to do school past two o'clock. Like if you weren't done by then, like I was done, I wanted to go play. I wanted to go out and enjoy where we were. Um, but a lot of other kids were done by like noon or 11 or 10. And so that's when my kids were like, why are we still sitting here? <laughs> you know, and what was your answer <laughs> at the time? It's like, well, because we still have geometry to work through yeah. and we still have, you know, some things like and what that. What did your answer evolve into? Um, so it's been a mix over the years. Um, while my oldest was still in middle school, we all got kind of lax. So there was like a year or two there where I would say I was very eclectic. Like there was, I, I got to the point where I said, you know what, as long as they read a lot for me and as long as we do math, like for me, I just, I needed them to do math. And so reading and math were my two big ones. Oh, and spelling. We did a lot of spelling and, and that kind of stuff, um, just out loud and during the day. 
um, if I if they were reading a lot, then I knew that the rest of it would catch on later and they'd be fine. And actually, and I wish I could remember the name of this book. I'll have to look it up for you. Um, there was a book that I read that influenced me quite a bit around that time, and it was a woman. They were lived on a boat, and they had teenagers, and she talked about the fact that they were unschoolers until her kids were 12 or 13, and that was the first time they had any formal education. And the kids, they, the kids themselves decided they wanted to learn certain things because they wanted to go to university. And so some of her kids started around 12 or 13, some started around 14 or 15, and they all went to university and learned what they needed to learn and hadn't written a, a formal essay until they were like 14 years old kind of thing. And so that made me kind of question the fact that in the public school, it's like it's this repetitive mode of teaching kids how to write or teaching kids. And you learn the same thing a little bit added on every year. These kids didn't do anything for like 12 years. And they're like, yeah, OK, let's learn about this. And off they went. So how would you classify the sort of form of education that you, you landed on after a, a number of years of world schooling and boat schooling? Um, I would say I'm an eclectic homeschooler. Okay. How do you define that? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mix. And, and it's changed a little bit over time because the older my kids got, the more I kind of felt myself drawn back to um, we needed to have some formal classes for science or formal classes for um, literature or something that maybe I felt like they needed. Um, and it, that's constantly changing because um, even now I probably do less with my 12-year-old than I did with any of my other 12-year-olds previously. Um, eclectic for me is uh, we've always had formal math, and I think that's the math teacher in me. Um, you know, All my kids get through calculus before they're out of school. Um, we always have formal science, but I don't typically teach it. So those classes, they tend to take online through some accredited place. And that was more for university acceptance. Um, and they tend to have some sort of accredited language is what I typically have. The rest of it is stuff that I find um, or we come up together. Most of our history has been stuff from traveling. So if you spend six months in different ports in Greece, I don't do any formal history. We spend six months traveling around Greece and learning about the history of Greece and, and wherever we are, right? I'm already uh, kind of castigating myself for asking this question because I, I know it's an impossible question, <laughs> but what's a typical day in the life for one of your kids when, when you're on the boat? Okay. When we're on the boat, if there are no broken refrigerators or bathrooms that are not working or things that need to get fixed, um, which is our normal life. <laughs> <laughs> I witnessed this yesterday. I know. Yeah. Um, when we're on the boat, uh, typically around by nine, people are up. They've had breakfast. Um, I like to start the morning with everybody doing some silent reading. So we have a library on board. Um, I would tell you that most of the boating families we meet uh, look at us with astonishment. The fact that at any given point, I've had over 500 books on board, which is not what you typically find on boats. Um, but, and I get comments from boaters all over the world who are like, you guys should get Kindles. And I'm like, well, we do have them. <laughs> As if we've never heard of that. Thank we, you. Everybody has one and they have them on their laptops. But um, there's just something about physical books and laying them out on the table. So, you know, I have a lot of reference books. I have a lot of fiction, that kind of stuff. So everybody reads in the morning, usually 30, 45 minutes. And it's during that kind of silent time that it kind of gets everybody in the, the mood for what they're going to do. Um, there is usually a checklist that I'll make for people 
that, uh, especially the younger ones, where um, they know what they have to do during the week. It's kind of mapped out. And so they just kind of get started, and they can go in whatever order they want. Um, and a lot of times it's documentaries or videos, or they've got to make something, or they have some online classes now that they do. Um, and I let them choose subjects a lot of times beyond, like, the basic ones. Um, some days we just do two or three things, and some days it might be a long day. It just kind of depends on what else is going on. And by long, we're usually still done by, like, 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. Okay. And what's something else that could be going on that would derail the normal schedule? Oh, well, besides a, some sort of a boating incident or emergency, which could be out of water or, or who knows what, um, if the weather's really nice and my husband John kind of goes, hey, I want to take a road trip, the whole world just drops everything that they're doing and it's like my plans just go out the window. And so very early on, I learned to just kind of go, well, that's okay. We'll just world school year round, right? So every time we take days off and sometimes it's one and sometimes he's like, let's take the next two weeks and go do this. He's usually the, the impetus for that, you know. Sort of crazy adventure. Yeah, yeah, last minute, let's go do something. And yeah. then my kids are like, yeah, that sounds way better. And so everything kind of goes south that way so how frequently are you are you on the move when you're on the boat I, I feel like a lot of people have this image of constantly sailing across wide open oceans and, and is that a reality for you and for the other families you know that that boat school no so so what we found over the years um, we run into a couple different types of boat schooling families so there's the boat schooling families similar to us that are long-term families. And so by long-term, I mean three, four, eight years kind of thing. And there's, there's quite a few of us out there. Um, most of us are slow travelers, right? So we've always been slow travelers. Uh, we don't go sailing if the weather's bad because none of us enjoy it. Um, and so we wait for a good weather window. We choose places we want to go visit and we'll find a good weather window and go. But when we get there, we tend to stay put in that area for anywhere from four weeks to six months. And it just kind of depends on what everybody wants to do and what, what it is. So sometimes we'll show up like when we got to Greece, we just all loved it. And there was just so much to see that we went and got the van that we had purchased in Portugal and drove it to Greece. So we had a car and we were there for six months with the boat and the car so that we could, the, you know, we could just drive anywhere we needed to and take road trips to, to see what we wanted to see. What's a place that you've discovered on the boat that really surprised you? Like, wow, everyone loves this place and we didn't expect it. Um, I, I think it's, oh gosh, that's so hard. Um, I actually mentioned a place to you the other day. So Monemvasia, which is a, a small old town in, in Greece on this island. Um, I wasn't expecting that. I'd never heard of it. And when we, John was like, there's this place I want to go to. And you, we got there by boat and there were a couple of their boats in the anchorage, but it was a great kind of hidden gem that, uh, and all my kids loved Greece. So there's a, there's an island called Naxos, which my kids love because there's a candy shop there. And they let us come in after hours and watch them make candy. And they gave it, and we were there like three days in a row watching them make different kinds of candy. And so it's those experiences in these different places. So every one of my kids wants to go back to Naxos, right? I'm like, well, I can buy the candy online. No, we don't want that. We want to like go back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Naxos was not a place that you set out to look for. You stumbled upon it. We stumbled upon it on the way from... Turkey to 
Greece. Yeah. And we just were island hopping and we were walking through these towns. And there was another island. I wish I could remember the name of it right now. We weren't there very long. And um, as you're walking through town, when the when when it's dusk, all of a sudden the monks up in the monastery are singing, and they have these tubes that are coming into the city through the walls, and you can hear the sound of the monks singing coming That's into incredible. the. It was like I was like, where is this coming from? And, you know, it's, and <laughs> and it's very old school, right? But there's all this. You can hear the monks singing way up on the mountain in the streets of the town through these tubes that are in. The, and it's those kinds of things where we're walking around. I'd have to like figure out where that was because I can't remember the exact name of sure, the place. I, sure. but I mean, we weren't there very long, but you should go. It was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. Okay. Uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners at this moment are thinking, this sounds great. How do you guys pay for this lifestyle? And you and your husband work remotely. We do. You do. Okay. So... And what I was surprised to learn yesterday from John mm-hmm. is that the, the internet connection that you have on the boat here is surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. And it's like high-speed broadband. Mm-hmm. And so you can really be anywhere in the world and you can continue working? We can be most places in the world. Um, a lot of our discussions, uh, everybody wants to go to the South Pacific, but it's not quite accessible for us still to work the way we work. There's a lot of... Um, there is internet and the boats that we know who go there but it's not um it's not like being here in the mediterranean where you have guaranteed high-speed internet wherever you are and access so there is different level of uh, of quality based upon where you are geographically for sure and okay. and eight years ago when we started um it was very different hmm. right so the internet for us has always been super important because we both work remotely the kids have always had you know different types of um experiences online that they've had to do over the years um in the caribbean in the early days um the internet was not was not that great and we didn't have as much access so you had to like you know go work uh, take your laptops in by boat we would we would dingy in if we were at anchor and go to a little cafe and you know sit on their wi-fi um it probably got better about five years ago where you had access almost anywhere uh, tell me more about the life support systems, you know, internet being the number one life support system, but tell me how the, the water works, the electricity works, how you get rid of waste. Okay. So, and every boat's a little different, okay. right? So it all really kind of depends for each boating family or even the others out there, what their comfort level is. Um, our comfort level is pretty high. Well, so. Like you, you d- desire a high <laughs> level of comfort. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, so we have a water maker. It makes quite a bit of water. Uh, through desalination. Yes, through yeah. desalination. Um, most boats will have some level of a water maker, but we've met many boats that have either no water maker or a very small one, and um, they'll collect rainwater. Uh, works much better in the Caribbean than here because it's more consistent down there on certain times. Um, so we have a water maker that's fairly large. We go through a lot of water. Um, we have uh, a large battery bank of lithium batteries, um, which is not a investment that a lot of boats will make. Um, uh, our boat's fairly large and we have a lot of, uh, technology on board that needs, you know, um, batteries and systems and we have a lot of backup systems so my husband's a a techie um and we have a lot of systems that need 
to ensure that they don't go down. And so we have a large generator and um, then we have two engines and everything um, kind of talks to each other. Um, and uh, so we definitely have a large investment in our battery system to support it. I mean, we've got, I think, seven laptops on board um, as well as, you know, seven phones as well as two desktop machines. And it's, it's quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, where do you get your electricity from? From the... Uh, from either the generator or the batteries. Okay. And yeah. solar panels. And solar also? panels. We do have two solar panels. Yeah. Um, they don't, I think they generate a very small percentage, like 10% or 12% of what we need every oh, day. Oh, okay. Yeah. So right now we're on shore power because yeah. we're in the hard. Yeah. Um, in, in the hard meaning? We're on land. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. So we're on land. Uh, we've been pulled out on this sled, which we've never done before, and it kind of pulls us out, and we're at an angle, so it makes it a little bit hard. Um, so we're on shore power, and if we're in a marina, we're on shore power. Um, but when we're at anchor, which is where we prefer to be, um, if we run the engines three hours a day, it charges our batteries enough that we can run the entire boat without turning the generator on. And I was talking with John yesterday about the, the sort of operating expenses, and it sounds like fuel is, mm -hmm. is a normal, consistent uh, operating expense. Um, and then the, the repairs and uh, maintenance uh, that needs to be done each year. But beyond that, there's not much, right? Like if you're hanging out in an expensive harbor, mm -hmm. then that can be expensive. But uh, from what I, I heard, there, there's not many other serious ongoing costs to this yeah. lifestyle. The, the largest costs are the maintenance of the boat, yeah. right? So um, every year you, you try to plan for it and there's just some things you don't plan for. You know, you don't plan for certain things happening. Um, so that would be the, the largest expense, I think, um, from a living. I mean, our family hasn't changed much the way we live compared to when we were um, stateside and living in our house in suburbia. You know, we still, my husband still likes to eat out, so we tend to eat out two or three times a week. Um, uh, the kids don't always go with us, and sometimes they do. Um, but we go to the grocery store. I think what I like about the European lifestyle is I go to the grocery store almost every day to pick up what I need for the day, right? Versus in the States, what you know, I would go like once every week or two and have these large, huge hauls of groceries. I, I've noticed there's no Costco's uh, in <laughs> that, that I can I've seen on my bike trip here. There are in some. France and there's Spain. one in Madrid. You know, there's okay. different places yeah. you can go but, to Costco. They're not as easy to find. <laughs> no. yeah. And you don't have the storage on the boat, right? So storage is a premium. Um, especially when you have a family of six people and we tend to have a lot of visitors. So, you know, I would tell you at least three or four times during the year, the boat may have eight people, 10 people on it. Right. So we tend to have a lot of visitors, which we like. Um, so there's, there's, uh, not a lot of storage. So, um, you kind of have to work with that. I'm looking at your dog, Amy, right now, who looks very happy. Yes. And uh, how does uh, how does the dog and how do your two cats fare uh, in the boat lifestyle? Surprisingly well. Hmm. Yeah. So they were all introduced to the boat as babies. So I think that probably helps a little bit. People ask me a lot about the animals. Um, Amy's been with us uh, seven years. She's a rescue from the island of St. Martin. She was this tiny little puppy that was pretty much on her last legs at this vet. And they were looking for someone to foster her. And my second daughter was like, oh, can we just foster her for three weeks and bring her back to life? And I left for Florida for some appointments and told my husband by the time I get back that dog's supposed to be back at the vet and when I came back the dog was still here and has never left and she's a she's a great boat dog yeah 
tell me about the kids' social life. You mentioned that there are these other boat families. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe even seasoned homeschoolers might utter the uh, the classic "What about socialization?" Yeah. question because it seems like you could be quite isolated, like physically isolated with just you and your family and maybe a guest or two in the water. Um, again, that's, I think, the, the stereotypical vision. Tell me what the reality has been like for you guys. So the reality has been kind of like a roller coaster, hmm. right? So um, I would tell you that uh, the first six months we were on the boat, we didn't meet a lot of boat kids, if any, maybe one. Um, and it was a little tough. My kids were a little lonely. Um, but it was all still new and fresh, and we were swimming and diving. And so it was kind of like you were on vacation. Um, and then reality kind of set in. Um, then you start, in the Caribbean, it's much easier. You find other families that are cruising up and down the islands, and they have boats. And the kids tend to congregate. And once you find, especially boats, like we met a family that we buddy-boated with for a few years, and they had um, three girls that were around the same age. And it was great. It was like the two families like melded into one, and we just kind of hung out for a couple years, and it was great. Um, with other kids coming in and out. So sometimes there might be 12 or 15 or 20 boat kids in the anchorage. And then you stick around for a while, right? And everybody gets to play. The Mediterranean's been a little bit tougher. Not as many opportunities to hook up and meet up with kids. Um, and it's, it's been noticeable, um, the difference a little bit. So it's definitely, it's definitely something that's been a conversation on our boat. And so because of that, um, we've made an effort to make sure our kids have good contact with the kids they have met. They maintain their friendships. They go visit them. Uh, kids come and visit us. Uh, we've had kids that were from, you know, fifth grade in the States come stay with us for a month. Um, so, uh, and then we've, then they've also taken some of their own, they started doing some of their own independent traveling fairly early. So when my kids, my oldest two hit about 16, um, they started, you know, they'd go to France on their own for, and stay with some friends for a month in Paris or something and take language lessons. So we tried to kind of get them out meeting people as well and leaving the boat and, and your eldest too also each went on an unschool adventures trip they did yes one with me to southeast asia and the other yep. uh, with my friend ari to new zealand it was and part of the impetus for that was because they'd spent a lot of time without a lot of socialization maybe and not a lot but like a couple of months right and that was a chance to be around a bunch of kids and have some adventures and and uh so that was part of the reason for sending them and wanting them to go so tell me about your experience of the world schooling community. Uh, who have you interacted with? Like, who's been essential in, in you feeling like you're, you're part of some community? Do you even feel like you're part of some community of world schooling families? I do. And so before I became what I would consider a world schooling mom, I was a, a boat school mom, right? Which that in itself is a tiny, small community. So there's like a, there's Facebook groups and things like that. And you share a lot of information. Um, when we actually moved to Portugal is when I kind of realized there's a much larger world schooling community, right? So the first three years, it was very much the boats, you know, and, and what the boating community was doing around the world for school. Um, once I hit Portugal and realized there's these huge world schooling communities that are going on, um, and there's Facebook groups and things like that, um, we started getting much more involved and we went to, um, some meetups, right? There's a, a meetup in La Herradura in Spain that um, uh, I guess is a, like a hub kind of. And um, we've been there a few times. We were, the boat was uh, down in that area for a while. And so the kids could go every week and meet some kids. Um, and that was interesting because these families are coming in usually for a week or two and they kind of hang out and the kids play and then they move on. And most of the families we met were in RVs. 
and they're from around Europe or the U.S. and they're traveling around and, and they try to find places where homeschoolers are congregating. And there's a few of those around Europe. That's the only one we've really um, kind of spent a lot of time with. But online, we've become much more active with families that are, are all over the place. Looks like Amy wants some attention. Yeah, she does. <laughs> um, okay, and with these families and the other kids kind of coming in and out, either on RVs or on boats, you mm-hmm. said that you, you make an attempt. You, you support your kids in staying connected to other kids. I do. Um, you know, have your kids developed, you know, long-term friendships uh, over many years with other kids? Um, so Kate, our oldest, when she graduated high school, we had a... Um, we were going to have her graduation in the Bahamas, and she had wanted to bring, invite a bunch of kids that she had met over the years, um, either boat schoolers or other world schoolers or kids that she knew from her previous public school life. Um, we had attempted a crossing at that time. We were planning on... And what does that mean for those who don't know? <laughs> so we were trying to get from the Mediterranean back to the Caribbean, and we were going to cross the Atlantic Ocean. And so we were uh, working our way towards Gibraltar and had an incident in the middle of the night in a bad storm. And... Um, uh, it was it was pretty bad and things were were falling and breaking and it was just we were like okay let's turn around and we wound up hobbling into uh, uh, Fuengirola which is a town in the southern part of Spain and spent the winter there which is great um, uh, so we didn't cross at that point so we're still going to try to cross the Atlantic this year but the, the your, let me go back to your question so instead of her having her graduation party in the Bahamas. We were going to have a graduation party here in the Med somewhere. So we chose to get the boat over to Sardinia and be an anchor in that area over in Sardinia. And kids flew in from all over the place. We had um, uh, a handful of kids that were other kids we'd met on boats in the Caribbean that they were still friends with uh, who went, flew in from either D.C. or Alaska. We had kids from previous days in uh, public school fly in from Tennessee and Florida. Um, we had some other kids that you know were in Europe, and they flew in. And for about five weeks, five to eight weeks, some stayed longer. Um, we had all these kids on the boat living in hammocks and hanging out, and it was kind of fun. And so these these friendships are initiated through probably initially brief uh, interactions, but then they're sustained online. Mm-hmm. And I bet there's a lot of energy invested in saying like, when are we going to meet up again? Dreaming about that, making plans, and then looking forward to like. The reunion or the the event, the gathering. And we've seen that with other families on boats, especially because those are the ones we tend to be the closest to, um, where their kids, you know, will plan. We're going to meet up in October somewhere. And so at some point, one of the kids will come visit the other. Um, And it hasn't been the same for all of my kids. So depending on their age. So my 14 year old, um, she doesn't necessarily have the same experience. She has an awful lot of friends but almost all of her friends are people that are in the world school community that she hasn't physically met and so um she's uh got this group that she is with um uh project world school is another organization and laney runs this group um and so we've uh, interacted with her and her group and gone to um, some of her sessions and tried to meet kids that way um but my third jenna um, she's got a handful of seven or eight friends that she's never met in person, but she talks to every single day. And they're from South Africa, or they're from there's one that was in Israel. There's some in in the U.S. There's some in the U.K. Um, and she's they're kind of like her little group that she's friends with. So it seems like your experience of boat schooling has really been enabled by the high speed internet. Oh, for sure. That you can get. And if you were doing this 20 years ago, I mean. 
it, it could be a more genuinely isolating experience or like a, a very insular family experience until you go run, hopefully run into the other families that are out there. For sure. Yeah. And in the boat schooling world, especially, and I see it in the RV world because I also am parts of these like RV homeschooling groups in the U.S. And I know a lot of people who do that. And I try to follow what's going on so I know what, what they're all talking about. But in the boat schooling community, especially, what I see on, in my Facebook groups is, you know, con- even this morning, uh, we're going to be leaving Annapolis. We've got two kids that are 12 and 14. We're hoping to meet up with some kid boats. Is anybody going to be in the Bahamas from these days to these days? Right. And and. You have to make a concerted effort to find those places. Um, 20 years ago or, or even less, it would have been much more isolating. And there's some boat families you can talk to that lived through that time. Um, when we were selling our house in Florida after we decided that we were going to stay on the boat, um, I actually met this woman who had lived across the street that I'd never met before. And, and I talked with her. And she, she, she was single. She was probably in her mid-50s. And she came into the house, and we were chatting. And I told her what we were doing. And she, like, her face went white. And, and it was interesting because it comes back to me now. And she told me that she grew up on a boat. But she grew up on a boat in the South Pacific with her family, which sounds amazing, right? That's what everybody wants to do. Um, but she went two or three years without seeing any kids. And she said it was extremely isolating. Um, and she was an only child. And I remember at that time kind of listening to her. And she goes, you know, I've actually had a really difficult time as an adult because I just never spent any time with kids. I was just on this boat. And you can find other stories like that. And so I think that today it's much different because of the internet. I think that there's, you can, you know, organize these meetups and find people and, you know, learn to, you know, meet people. Like we've met people online because they had a similar boat and teenagers that, you know, I still have never met these people, but my second daughter has spent time with them in Cape Town on their boat multiple times and, you know, has hung out with them. And at some point we'll meet them in person, right? But we met them because they had a similar boat and we were trying to get some information back and forth and they were, um, you know, in Indonesia at the time, I think. So it sounds like what really makes this lifestyle sustainable is the internet Mm -hmm. and then also your family's commitment to not being on a schedule, to the the slow travel. Yeah. Because then you can pivot and join people who happen to be in one place. You can linger if you really like a place or you meet people who you mm-hmm. really like. Okay. And, yeah. and when you've seen other families who are doing this and they are on a schedule, what's their experience seem to be like? Um, we, and in the med, you run across that a lot. Okay. Um, people who are like, you know, they're, they're taking a sabbatical. They may be um, uh, off work for a year or two and they want to make the most of it and they've got this kind of like schedule and plan of what they want to do during that year and so we might meet them and enjoy seeing them for two three four days and we're still friends with them on Facebook and we still talk with them but um, it's it's very different in terms of what their focus is and um, they have a set kind of set of places that they want to see and before you know it they're kind of off and you wave goodbye and they move on and um, it's a for me, it's a different mindset, right? So we definitely, for us, the life works because, you know, we pull into a harbor and we go check out a little town and we're like, ooh, this is kind of nice. And they've got this really cool bakery and we want that bread for like the next week. And then we meet other people and we wind up like hanging out for a while. Yeah. Tell me about your experience with the pandemic and mm. not being not being a rooted family in that epic. Yeah. So like everybody, it's affected the, our family. Um, we uh, were planning on crossing again a couple years ago, um, wound up 
heading to Canada to see my husband's family and his, his mama had a stroke. So we were going to go for eight weeks. And interestingly, so we, we parked the boat at a marina here in Spain and we're going to go for eight weeks. Uh, we were going to leave the pets here. So somebody was going to come be a pet sitter or we were going to find a local place that would keep the pets for us because it's, it's a kind of an expense and a big ordeal to take pets back and forth internationally. And, um, in the, about a week before we left, I was like, I think we should take the pets with us, right? So we packed up the dog and the two cats and did all the vet bills and made sure they had all their shots and got their passports done. And um, luckily we did because we got stuck in Canada for the majority of the pandemic. We just got back here about a month and a half ago. And so the boat sat alone for about 18 months in the marina. Um, not what we'd expected. So there was still food in the fridge. You know, there was still, you know... It, it, we didn't leave it like we were going to be gone for a long time. We didn't do any of the things to the systems we might have done if we had left it for a long time. And we wouldn't have left it in the water for 18 months because there was a huge amount of growth. And we have uh, what are called through holes. We have like these holes in the boat, which sounds terrifying, but they're meant to be there to, you know, um, release things and the bilge and things like that. And um, uh, we had a lot of growth. We had to pull it out and get some work done in our our propellers had seized and had growth all over them. Um, we would have pulled it out of the water if we'd known. So we were in Canada, um, world schooling there out of our house. And um, honestly, that's probably where my 14-year-old, how she wound up meeting all these friends online. And they became very tight and very close. Um, for the others, um, it was hard. You know, Kate had gone off to university and had to come home. And I think there's a little anger at the beginning of that. And it's like, what am I doing back here? Like every other teenager at college who had to come home. Um, but, you know, but the family was together. So John did what John does. And he, you know, decided we should get an RV and travel across the parts of Canada we could once it was safe. And, you know, we, we uh, tried to make the most of it and tried to get back to Spain as soon as we could. And can you tell me what the, the immediate future looks like for each of your, your four kids? Kind of a, what is each one of them looking forward to? What, what are their, their loose plans? You don't have to go into great detail. I just think people would like to hear, especially since two of your kids are now at the <coughs> point of kind of moving away from, from mm -hmm. home. I'm using mm -hmm. air quotes here. And, oh, and two so are sad. still here in, in the family boat schooling mm -hmm. lifestyle that you've developed. Yep. So how does it evolve and, and where are they headed? So my oldest is in university. Um, I did. I do get a lot of questions and answer a lot of questions about her going to university, having world schooled, you know. Um, but uh, she's at university and she's there on scholarship and has done really well. Um, she's got so many different ideas. I'm not exactly sure where she's going to end up, but she's... Um, she wants to travel and have a traveling job and um, is getting uh, two degrees in philosophy and international studies, and um, she seems to be doing great. And then uh, my next one is getting ready. She's applying to universities right now. Um, she wants to go to university in here in Europe somewhere, I think is what she'd like, or Canada. Um, and I think she also wants to you know, travel. I think uh, lately it's talked about, I want to live on a boat and be a dive master. And so we'll kind of see where that, where that goes. Um, the next two, uh, we've got, you know, one for four years and one for six. So I've still got all of high school in front of me. Um, uh, Jenna's very much technology driven. So um, unlike many boats, you might find this interesting. Um, we have a 3D printer on board. So a 3D printer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jenna is our 3D printer master. So if we need something, she tends to design stuff and 
print things out. And, you know, very cool tidbit about her is when we were sitting in Canada and Kate had... Uh, Kate was working on a Volkswagen van that we had bought pretty beat up, and she was going to drive it across Canada herself, and so spent the summer uh, refurbishing that. She needed some parts she couldn't buy, and so uh, Jenna designed them for her on the 3D printer. And now, actually, there's a, a van uh, refurbisher out of Spain who sells one of her 3D designs online, and you can download it Very and print cool. that part. Wow. Yeah. So she's our, our techie person, and she spends a lot of time doing those kinds of things. Um, she wants to be a programmer, so she takes a lot of programming classes. And um, and then Jack, you know, it's hard. He's the only boy, so that makes it a little different. Um, I Our goal to cross is to find him some, some kids to hang out with, so he's pretty solitary right now, um, especially because his best friend was his sister, Jenna. They're only 18 months apart. Um, and about a year and a half ago, she kind of reached that age where she really didn't want to spend 12 hours a day hanging out with Jack doing Legos. So um, he takes karate online. All right. So he's it, uh, up here on the, on the deck of the boat. Um, well, we try to find him a location. Yeah. So um, he's been doing it for pretty much the entire pandemic. Um, I think he's getting ready for his test to become a blue belt. So he's moving his way up, and it's, it's kind of interesting to watch this whole process. So he, he's been taking karate twice a week. Um, the hard thing is that when we were in Canada, it was like at 5.30 in the afternoon, and now it's like at 11.30 at night. So twice a week, we're, you know, trying to find him a stable location. Yeah, midnight karate. <laughs> yeah. That's when they people look and say, oh, those homeschoolers. Jeez, kids doing karate at midnight. Yeah, and when we were when we were in Canada and had the RV for a little while driving across the country, you know, we'd find, you know, the side of a church parking lot and you know set up the computer on top of a stump and he would do his karate outside so we're used to we're <laughs> we're used to having to find those locations it's a good karate kid moment <laughs> i can just imagine it now um okay my final question for you and feel feel free to take this in any direction mm -hmm. um for families who are intensely curious and inspired by by your story and the story of other families that have lived on boats for long periods of time um, I mean, what kind of, I'm sure you've given a lot of advice on this subject over the years, but what do you see as, as most people's biggest like mental block or misconception or, or doubt that you think is, is really maybe, it's not that big of a deal in the end. It's not so founded. Uh, what kind of advice can you give for people who are like, I'd love to do this, but. Yeah. So I think the two things I always hear is one, you know, coming, you know, if we aren't outlier long, coming back to like getting a job and those kinds of things. But that's, for me, the one that I wind up answering a lot or talking to people about is more around the schooling, right? So, you know, I want to go out, the people tell me, I want to go out with my kids on a boat, but by high school, I want to be back. So really it's the, how do you do high school? And there's, a, there's enough of us now who've graduated kids off boats who get scholarships and go off to university or maybe go to some merchant marine training or, or, or something, right? Um, and uh, I would tell what I tell people now. Well, he's chasing birds. That's what, right. Get those birds, Amy. <laughs> what I tell people is what I realized is that it's really not something to be that worried about in the elementary and middle school grades as to what they're going to do in high school, right? So I realized after a couple of years that, you know, if I want my kids to be interested in life, to want to learn things, to know how to learn things and how to find things. Um, and so I kind of slowed down kind of like the stressful part of education in those early years, um, 
come high school, there are so many different ways to get there. You know, um, we've done this huge mix of everything from, you know, traditional online classes to classes that I've taught or just experiential type classes that I kind of cobbled together based on what they were doing to distant to a dual enrollment, right? Which is for us in the end, in the last couple of years of high school, both my older girls decided to do some dual enrollment classes to prove that they were college ready by the time they applied, right? Um, and I think that the, the, the question I get asked the most and the, the worry that most people have is around, well, what about high school? What about my kids? You know, am I really going to be able to teach them? And, and I think that there's just so many resources now and so many different alternatives that it's not as difficult as you think. And it doesn't have to be all day long from like nine to five plus homework. It's a very different mindset in terms of that. So that's interesting because that's a standard concern for, for any family, even if they're on land. Absolutely. When they're thinking about home education options. Yeah, There's for a lot. sure. That's why I decided to write my first book about how you go to college if you don't go to high school. I have read that book. It, I, saw, I saw it on your bookshelf. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Cause I've everyone... given that away a few times, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Because uh, high school seems like the real crunch time um, and so that's no different if you're on a boat, no. because as we've discussed, a lot of this learning happens online. And so if you can do it on a boat, you, I mean, if you can do it at home, you can do it on a boat, you can do it in an RV. Oh, it's for sure. It's kind of all the same. And I think a lot of people, what I notice, and, 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 and I'm not immune to it in the early years either. A lot of people are worried that if you don't do it the standard way that everybody thinks you're supposed to, that you're going to ruin your child's future or you're going to ruin their, their chances. And quite honestly... You know, if I were being honest about this, I mean, we lost friends when we moved onto the boat, right? So we had friends that we were very close to for many years, um, and our, our kids were friends, the family were friends. We would, we would go on vacations and things like that with these different families. And when we were only going out for a year, it was one thing. But when we decided to stay out, I think it was very difficult to relate because their kids were still doing, you know, whether they were going into the IB program or they were taking all their AP classes. Or, it, but it was a very, you know, my kids are going to be in, in band or they're going to dance or they're going to play football or, you know, but, well, what about your kids? Aren't you worried? You know, they need to come back to school. And I'm like, yeah. And it was hard. It was even hard for Kate because she had some of her friends that she'd known in public school who gave her a little bit of a hard time about the fact that, you know, aren't you worried about getting into college? Aren't you worried? And, and it, it did stress her a little bit. And I think when she did her college applications and she got accepted to every single school she applied to, including schools like, you know, American University and Boston University and Northeastern, she felt very vindicated, right? It was like, you know, see, I mean, we did everything the way we wanted to, and I still could get into wherever I wanted to go kind of thing, you know? Um, but it was hard. We lost, we lost some relationships that just didn't, and it wasn't like they ever said, we don't want to be friends anymore. They just kind of petered away. Uh, drifted away. Yeah. And because there weren't these, these shared activities or, or shared basis uh, among, that, among your children. That, that, and we did get a lot of comments where we just kind of stopped communicating um, because it was like, well, don't you think that I mean, I just can't believe you're doing that. And don't you think you're going to ruin all their chances for their future? So some and, parental judgment. Oh, tons of parental judgment. Huh. Right. And it wasn't from everybody, but there were a handful that you get kind of surprised that you get that. But then as I reflected on it, I'm not surprised because, you know, there is kind of that sense of safety when you're going through the traditional route. And it's what it's what is most common. Right. And everybody wants their kid to, you know, you know, be in the band and, you know, be president of the student government or whatever it is, you know, their goals are for their kids, right? And it's very hard to see something different and see it working. 
Well, I feel lucky to have spent two nights on your boat, even if it's not in the water. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I, I do see a functional lifestyle here, and I see some happy kids. And so it feels like True. it's working to me. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. No, you're welcome. That was fun. <laughs>